This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. We are supposedly in the quiet time of the height of summer, but there is still a lot happening. And it's an especially good time to take stock of how things are working in the city. Mayor John Tory is in the house. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure, Libby. Thank you. And it's especially good to see you wearing something other than that jacket. <laughs> it's It's been to the cleaners. I want to reassure the <laughs> listeners and you. Uh, it's been to the cleaners. It's in the cleaners plastic bag awaiting uh, a revival next spring when the Raptors make the playoffs again. Uh, but uh, it has been retired for now. Okay. Well, I, I hope not to see it until next no, Andrew, spring. <laughs> you hope to, some people would say they hope never to see it again, including my wife. But having said all that, um, you know, it, it had a winning record of six and two, so that's not bad. And uh, so we'll, we'll probably bring it out next spring unless we decide on a different one. Okay, well, I'd like to give the numbers out again. I'm sure that people have questions for you, perhaps comments, the numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And top of my list is we recently learned about a fabulously located and moderately priced seniors residence on Yonge Street that's been sold to a real estate lawyer. And that means 150 elderly people have to find a new place that they can afford to live. I've seen yep. some of the people on television and otherwise talking about it. And, I, and look, I want you to want to start off by saying I know how disruptive it is for anybody, but especially for an older person to be uprooted from a place where they might have expected to spend, frankly, the rest of their days. Uh, and but but, you know, the, the 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 landlord in this case and the operator of the uh, residents for seniors are all following all the rules. And so the first thing that Mike Layton and I are going to do is uh, ha- have our officials write us a report on, on, on the shortcomings of the rules so that we can make sure those people are adequately protected. But the second thing we're doing in the short term is working with them. And, and the, the, the people, again, the operators of this Davin Hill residence have hired a relocation consultant. They have managed to relocate quite a few of the residents already. And I have assurances because I've talked to some of the principals when we tracked down who they were yesterday that um, if there's more time needed to make sure people get settled in a way that I described as a soft landing so that they can comfortably be resettled in some uh, new home, then that will be the case. But I think in this case, what you had here is both a change in the ownership of the land, but equally important, a lack of financial viability of this building. The business itself of running this building that was run by a nonprofit was in jeopardy. So you can't, that, that's not a good thing either. They could have come along one day and just sort of declared bankruptcy. And instead they sort of are closing the place out in an orderly fashion. But I realize it's incredibly disruptive, and that's what we're trying to sort of help deal with. I I have some sympathy with that, but it's hard to imagine how something so well-located, you know, serving 
a, a real need in the city could not be financed. Yeah, yeah, but here's the thing. If it was run by the government, it wouldn't be an issue because the government doesn't take account of what the land value is or, you know, doesn't take account. I mean, the government runs it and on whatever basis that it can. In this case, this was run by a nonprofit organization, which has an obligation not to lose money. And I think their question, their financial viability was in question. They said that in their public statements. And so they took a decision to close the business and they would have otherwise had to improve the building in a way that they couldn't afford to do. And so, um, you know, I, I, I agree with you. It, it is a, an incredibly well-located, nice-looking building. It's not like it's old and falling down. Uh, you can see that from looking at it. So our job now is to make sure that these people are looked after because I have immense sympathy for the notion that, you know, my own mother is 87 years old and she lives in a place where she's living and we keep talking to her about moving to a place where she might get a bit more support. She's in great shape now, but we... And the whole notion of moving it just yeah. doesn't appeal to her. She says, no, no, I, you know, I'm too old to move. I want to stay where I am and all this. And lots of senior people feel that way. And I get that. And we want to help them. Yes, we do. In place. Right. Uh, now, Mike Layton mentioned that when you get a redevelopment application for that property, that might be the time when the city can do something about it. Am I right? Well, certainly when we get a redevelopment application for any piece of property, we have a degree of leverage as part of our approval process to say, well, you know, yes, we'll let you do some redevelopment, but you have to do this for us. So often we'll say we want a child care center or we want this or we want that. And that's part of the bargain that we strike with the developers. And so the answer to your question is yes, if there's a redevelopment application. And when I say if uh, there isn't one, we don't know of one, there's not somebody that's phoned and said there's going to be one. But if there is one, that's when we get some ability to negotiate with whoever wants to do something on that land to say, well, we want you to help look after seniors or, you know, whatever. But that's something that's strictly hypothetical at this stage. And it, will that be jeopardized? I mean, we know that the OMB, the Ontario Municipal Board, is coming back. For a while, it looked like Toronto would have a say about development in Toronto. Is it is that likely to be a problem in well, that Well, the process? answer to your question is yes, in a certain way, in that what the OMB was, and I think always there's a need for an appeal body to exist to sort of look after what might be considered incorrect or arbitrary decisions of even the city government of elected people. But it does mean that the OMB could overrule something we could negotiate from a developer and say, no, we don't agree with that, and they have the last word, which I always thought wasn't the right way to go about this. I thought the last word should always rest with elected people, because then you're accountable, and if people don't like something you've done, they'll vote you out. Uh, so it does compromise that a little bit, but it doesn't stop us entirely from sitting with the land developer and saying, we need you to help us address the needs of seniors in that area or some such thing. And so I'm sure when that day comes, if it comes, that that's uh, the kind of thing we'll do. But in the meantime, what Councillor Layton and I are going to work together on is making sure that we look at the provincial rules that relate to long-term care and relate to the tenancy of seniors in places like this and make sure that there are as few um, kind of cracks that Blue people holes? can fall through. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they were deliberately created loopholes, but there may be things people didn't think about, like an instance like this, where we have to look at it and say, look, we want to make sure seniors in this kind of living, aging in place uh, kind of arrangement are not unfairly or disrupted in a way that is inconsistent with what we think should be the case. Uh, you know, one of the things that's interesting to me, we hear a lot about uh, the housing crisis for younger people, for millennials, uh, and I think less about 
the the issue, the same issue for seniors? No, you're right. how, how bad is is well, that? It, it, look, the affordability problem in the city of Toronto is an affordability problem for everybody, and it, in a way, young people and older people are are the same because young people have a lower income coming into the workforce when they start out in their first job. Older people are living on some sort of a fixed income, which is usually lower, you know, because they're either on a pen- Canadian pension or on a work pension, which is not meant to, you know, the amounts are not such you can be living in the lap of luxury, to say the least, especially in a very expensive city like this. So the answer to your question is the seniors part of this is just as acute a problem and will grow because there are more and more and more people becoming seniors. So it is something that when we talk about affordable housing, a lot of the issue that we are dealing with is going to be to have suitable housing with, in some cases, some extra supports that can allow people to stay in those affordable homes longer. So they have a bit of extra support, even just somebody looking in on them from time to time. Sometimes it's as simple as that. Um, Home care. it's, it's, It's fairly independent living, but there's somebody who notices if you don't kind of appear in the lobby on a given day and they at least go up and knock on the door and say, are you okay? And, you know, sometimes it's as simple as that. And so this is, we're very focused on that. Okay, let's take a call from Diane in Toronto. Hi, Diane. Are you there, Diane? Hello? Uh, Hi, Libby. Welcome back. Thank you very much. Hello, Mayor Tory. Nice Uh, to talk with you. Me too, Diane. Thank you. I have a concern uh, with the mindset that City Council seems to have with respect to raising property taxes whenever they need money. This came up not too long ago where uh, it they may have had to open the budget again and so on. Yeah. We all enjoy well, the same benefits and services in the city, what the city offers. And it's always the property tax people, or property owners rather, that have to bear the brunt of this. It's just not fair. Well, it's one of the reasons, Diane, why I uh, sought yes, office in my first term and again in my that, second and term. You said you were going to keep it, you know, to inflation and whatever. Which I've done five years yes, in a row. Yes, you have. Yes, yeah. you have. But can we have a have a look at it, perhaps, to reduce property taxes at some point in time? I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and be dishonest with you and say, "Sure, we'll take a look at that," because here's the problem. I mean, the city of Toronto is growing by seventy thousand people a year. Um, we have an immense backlog of transit we didn't build in previous years and parks we didn't create and so forth. Yes, and so the notion that I'm going to say... other avenues to generate some revenue well, rather than property taxes? Here's the problem. I mean, for the municipal government, we are uh, limited on how we can raise money by the law that creates the city of Toronto, which is a provincial law. And basically beyond the land transfer tax and fees and, and permits... And the property taxes, we don't have any other ways to raise money, which is why you'll hear me talk about the need for us to have more support from the federal and provincial governments to do things like build transit uh, because they have income taxes and sales taxes we are not allowed to have. So I can just tell you that we don't have, and, and previous mayors and mayors of all other cities in Canada would tell you that's a real problem for cities who are increasingly called upon to deliver services but don't have the revenue tools other than the property tax. But I am committed, just so you know, and so the other listeners know, I'm committed to the commitment that I made uh, to keep the increase in property taxes through to the end of my term uh, to the rate of inflation or below, and we'll find ways to balance the budget and improve services. Okay, Diane, thanks for that. Uh, Yeah, people don't like to pay more property taxes. Well, because again, it's the same thing, Libby. I mean, a senior 
is, is living on a fixed income. So if we're raising our taxes by 5% a year, their income certainly isn't going up by 5% a year on pension. Similarly, with a young person, there aren't a lot of big raises being given out in the economy these days, even though the economy is doing well in terms of unemployment. And so for those people, if we're just raising taxes 5% a year, they're certainly not getting a raise at work of 5% a year. So that's why I made the commitment in terms of keeping Toronto as affordable as one can in a very successful, expensive city by saying we're going to limit property taxes. And I get criticized by some for this saying we should be raising taxes much more. And I think, well, it's fine unless you're the one paying it. I'm going to give the numbers out again. I'm here with Mayor John Tory. If you have questions about uh, the bigger issues facing the city, or maybe it's something on your street, in your neighborhood, the numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. A lot of things I would like to touch on. We just heard about these Bombardier layoffs. Uh, so uh, does this mean that they are actually going to complete the streetcars? That oh, yeah. They- the one thing people shouldn't misunderstand is that they they are, are in the process of completing quite efficiently, actually. I mean, they, they finally sort of got their act better mm-hmm. together in terms of delivering these streetcars. I think they're delivering about three a week and they're working well and they're great. Um, and so we've had lots of problems with that, as you know, over many years. Um, this doesn't affect that, but it now says really when we finish delivering that order, we are not going to have the work to keep these people busy in Thunder Bay. I am simply saying this much, which is we need more transit vehicles. We have to order more streetcars, whether it's from them or somebody else. So we have a need for vehicles. They have a need for jobs in Thunder Bay. Um, and so surely if we can then come up with a way to pay for these, which means some help from the other governments, we can all sit down together and solve everybody's problems. We need vehicles. They need jobs and, and we need help, money. Help me out here. We, we've had, you've had huge problems with this company. Why would you give them another contract? Well, I, I, it's a good question, but at the same time, I don't want to say no, we wouldn't give them another contract. They've, they've sort of addressed some of their issues in the last little while and been delivering these streetcars much more reliably and delivering streetcars that work well. And so here's the problem, Libby. If we said, well, fine, we're going to go out to an open bid and say anybody who wants to deliver streetcars to us, uh, can bid. It would take somebody two or three years to sort of tool up their factory to deliver the streetcar we need. So the advantage Bombardier has, even with all the problems, is that that they have delivered streetcars to us and could deliver more in a few weeks if we needed to say we need more. So we're going to have to think about all that. But I'm just saying we represent part of the solution to this labor problem. And so and I will say, you know, I heard Premier Ford, uh, you know, being critical of the federal government. The federal government has actually been very supportive of Toronto's transit needs and given us billions of dollars, including money to buy hundreds of new buses. The province previously gave us money to buy these new streetcars. So I want to make sure that we get those other two governments to the table. We sort out whether we want to order more of those streetcars or not. And I think, you know, we have to take a look at how long it would take for somebody else to tool up and build a streetcar like that. And and then we'll make that decision. But I'm saying I think there's a solution out there if we could all sit down at the table together and not fight and just focus on the needs of transit users and on on the the, the needs of those workers. Okay. Let's hear from Allison in North York. Hi, Allison. Hi, Libby. I just wanted to say a word to about raising taxes. The lady before me spoke about every time it's property tax, property tax. The question I have to ask is, why are we not licensing bicycles? You would get lots of money from that. 
It's Why funny not? you say that, Allison. I got asked about this on television last night. And what I had to say to people is, first of all, people underestimate the degree to which when we have licensing requirements, say for a dog, if you looked at the percentage of people who have dogs in Toronto who actually have a dog license, it's actually way less than half. So most people just don't bother to get the license and they take a chance on getting found out they don't have one. And then secondly, related to that, the cost of bicycle licensing, when we've looked at it in the past, is actually more than the revenue you take in. So if I thought we'd have a lot of money left over to help pay for the city's bills or whatever from having bicycle licenses, I might take a look at it. But every bit of information we've had in the past is the cost of running the licensing system is going to exceed a reasonable charge. I mean, you can't say you're going to charge people $150 for a bicycle license. You know, it'd be more likely to be $25 or $50. And even then you're getting up pretty high. So it's just one of those things we've looked at it. We will look again, I'm sure. But right now it doesn't represent the answer that people think it is when you're dealing with a budget for the city as a whole that is $14 billion a year. You know, that's what it costs and to run the city. May I ask you a question then? If we don't have, they pay more taxes for their bikes. Why are we building more bike lanes? They are getting more of the money than the other people should be getting. Well, yes, but I'll tell you this, uh, Allison, uh, when we build the bike lanes and people use their bikes, what it means they're not doing is they're not using their cars. Um, and I think that's a step forward for the city in terms of reducing traffic congestion. Uh, and uh, so, you know, there is a cost involved, you're right, to building bike lanes and maintaining them for that matter, including clearing snow off them in the winter. But at the same time, people use their bikes. It's good for the environment. It's good for their health. It's good for traffic congestion. So we want to encourage that. And so that's why we invest what isn't really a very big sum of money, again, in the context of a $14 billion budget in bike lanes. Okay. Thanks for that, Allison. I hope that answered your question. Uh, The city is being sued by some residents at College and Dover Court uh, over some construction, which they say is damaging their homes. There's a, a huge issue with noise pollution. I can't remember when it was that you promised to make uh, developers and construction companies a little more responsible about the way they close down streets. Hard to see any evidence of that. Well, that's actually not true. I mean, what we've done, for example, is we've taken up the fees that they have to pay to close down streets that we charge them fees to close lanes and sidewalks by a thousand percent to make them more responsible in terms of how long they keep these things closed. We have an audit we go around and do now, like it's being done every day to look at places where we've closed sidewalks and streets and have that kind of construction. And we are saying to people, if you're finished the work or if you're, you know, you don't need to keep this closed anymore, then we want you to reopen it and they're doing it. So look, in a big city, like this with the number of things going on, you're never going to achieve a level of, of, of sort of perfection that, that has everybody happy, but we are doing much better. And we're doing a much better job, I'll say it, coordinating the construction. We're also, for example, having a lot more contracts that we let, including the one on the Don Valley Parkway at present, that are 24-7. And we're saying to the people, we want you, the contractors, we want you to work 24-7 where we can do it. Now, sometimes with residents living nearby, you can't work 24-7. So that means we get the job done faster. We even pay more to get it done faster. So the inconvenience of people, whether it's drivers or residents, is minimized. So we're doing better. Uh, are we, have we solved the problem? No. What about this noise pollution issue and this well, damage issue? Well, we've just you're... redone our whole noise bylaw, and it comes into effect, I think, this fall. Um, we are we began last week, for example, something people don't even know about yet, but I'm going to be out tomorrow night publicizing it, which is we began a noise blitz on some of these noisy cars and motorcycles, which is an issue I hear lots about. Oh, yeah. Last week, we gave out 44 tickets to people, and it has to be done, unfortunately, by a police officer, not by a bylaw enforcement officer. And so we're having those You're going to have a blitz on yes. this? Yes. Well, we had one last week, and we're having another one this week, and we're going to have them regularly, and they're going to show up in places in town where those noisy, inconsiderate people least expect it. 
And um, it, does it also cover people who uh, thoughtfully blast their their yes. their music? Yes, it does. I mean, that's a lesser, you know, frequent problem than is the noisy mufflers of motorcycles and cars. But yes, if you're making excessive noise, the uh, authorities have the uh, uh, have the ability to pull you over and give you a ticket for that. And uh, so that that's what we're doing. And uh, so we're very conscious of that. And the new noise bylaw is meant to put more specific limits in place that actually have it measurable by a piece of equipment that can say you're either making too much noise or you're not. So is this, uh, are the cops going to be carrying a new piece of equipment? No, uh, they, they will not. The cops are only needed because you can't stop a moving vehicle if you're not a police officer. So right. it's for cars and motorcycles. The measurement of noise of, from, say, music venues is the responsibility of the city's bylaw inspectors. And yes, they will have equipment that will allow them to go on the street and measure noise there, but also to go to somebody's apartment, for example, and measure the noise from there. Right. But also... Uh, who's going to measure the noise from the cars? Well, the the police that, yeah. uh, can do that. Yeah, with the, with with either equipment okay. or just without. I mean, sometimes it's it's pretty obvious these very loud motorcycles and cars that they're in violation of the law, and they've they've altered their equipment, uh, which is not, not legal either, and they get a ticket for uh, excessive noise. Okay, well, I'm really glad to hear that, and I'm sure a lot of other people will be as well. And speaking of music venues, Robbie in Toronto has a question. Hi, Robbie. Good morning. Good afternoon. Uh, two things, just com- short comments. First, this is my city of birth. I've been here my whole life. I love the city of Toronto. And secondly, Mayor Tory, you are my favorite mayor of all time. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I've lived my whole life here, too, and that's why I'm the mayor, because I love the city and I want to try to help make it better. Are, are you guys like relatives? Not, not as far as I know. I don't have any relatives yeah. named Robbie. But anyway, Robbie, what was your question? <laughs> well, you might have. Um, my question uh, revolves around music venues in the city. I've been a, a, in the music business my entire life and played live places my entire life and continue to do so. But now, as we know, uh, one by one, a lot of these venues are closing. And usually it's not to do with lack of business. It's usually to do with the cost of the property tax and business tax. And I know that uh, years ago, you were very much at the forefront of making this a music city. And um, I'm wondering what is being done, what can we do, what, what can all of us do to make sure that we still have a very culturally live music program in the city? Well, to be honest, the threat to music yeah. venues has been mostly caused by the upward uh, upward uh, increase in property values because it, what happens is that it becomes uh, you know more sensible from a business perspective for the owner of the land to turn it over to some other use than a music venue. Uh, so that's what's caused most of these music venues to have to close. Um, and what we've done, though, is to make sure that in uh, every development application, and it's now the case of something brought in under my administration, that when development applications are being considered, that um, the, the other thing that was a factor in causing trouble for the music business, namely that people would complain about the noise, that those music venues must be consulted when a condo is being proposed so that they will have a chance to come and say, look, we've been here for 20 years and fine if you want to build a condo next door, but please don't come back then and say, well, gosh, it's a great place to have a condo and we've moved in now and there's a music place next door. And so now they have to be consulted and it's actually happening. We're also working hard to make sure that new music venues replace uh, the old and, and uh, because some of them are going for reasons, same reason in a way as for the seniors residents. And it's a much more serious matter when you're dealing with seniors in their homes, but it, it's just, 
unfortunately, a byproduct of a successful city is you have this all going on. But I can tell you that we are working very hard through our music office um, and through our music advisory committee and through the city government itself to make sure these as many of these music venues are preserved as possible and that they have to be consulted and their views taken into account when development is happening in the city so that people can't come along later and complain sort of retroactively about the noise. I'm still very committed uh, to the health and well-being of the music business in Toronto because I think creative cities, innovative cities, cities committed to the arts attract investment and are healthy because people, you know, can... Music, for example, is a universal language in a diverse city where people often can't speak to each other in the same language, but they can all enjoy a concert of any kind. And that's uh, fortunately what we have going on in the city. Uh, speaking of members of the family, that's Robbie Lane. Hey, Robbie. Hey, how are oh, you Robbie doing? Lane, one of the greats. <laughs> one, one of the, the greats. greats. Yeah. A member of our family here. I, I didn't twig on that at the first. All Robbie, right. thanks for calling with that. Oh, my pleasure, and thanks for Thank the you, answer. Thank you, Robbie, and Mr. thanks for Gordon. all the good tunes over the years. Okay. Oh, you're very welcome. Okay, we have uh, time for a few more. Tom in Woodstock. Hi, Tom. Tom, are you there? Yes, I am. I'm sorry. Yes, uh, my, my comment is on real estate. The, the, the price of real estate just keeps going up, and the process that the use for selling real estate has changed over the years, like the multiple offers... At one time, when there was multiple offers, they had to be presented to the seller one at a time, and they either accepted or they declined in the order that they came in. And now they put them all out on the table, so it's basically an auction. And what that does is just artificially drives up the cost of housing. And this is a problem for everybody today. You know, Tom. I'd like to know what the mayor thinks of that. And by the way, I was born and raised in Toronto. Toronto. I love Toronto. It's, I still think of it as my home. And I do think Mayor Tory is quite a good speaker. Oh, thank okay. you. I, 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 I'll tell you, Tom, I, I don't like that system. And I've said this before. We don't make those rules. The city government doesn't. It's made by the province and by the real estate industry itself. I just find it... Uh, too easily subject to manipulation that you can have these auctions where, you know, nobody sort of really knows in a transparent way what offers are on the table and which aren't. Um, you know, you might argue if you were a seller, it's the best kind of system going because you're going to maximize the amount you get for your house. And I have no problem with that. But I so I don't like it inherently because I think it's kind of complicated and more manipulatable by by people. But having said all that, uh, those rules are set elsewhere. And uh, I, my concern at this stage is less with real estate values. I mean, they are troubling to me and to other people because it affects the affordability of the city for people who make modest income. So what I'm focused on is increasing dramatically the supply of affordable housing for for people who are not seniors and for seniors, because we were talking about that earlier, because we just have to have more affordable options, especially on the rental side uh, for people. Okay, uh, on that subject, Peter in Etobicoke. Hi, Peter. Um, I'd like to address the issue of affordability for seniors. Sure. Go okay. ahead. Uh, uh, Mr. Tory. Yep. Okay. Um, I had a problem. I got robbed, okay? And because of that, I got um, uh, put under the public guardian. I got robbed by a mix of police officers thanks to the CCAC. Uh, the, the lady was afraid that uh, this um, um, building inspector was going to empty out the contents of my house because there was a hole in the roof. And I was in St. Joseph Hospital, which I'm still in right now. Um, last month, my house was sold against my will. And it's closing date is on the, on the 26th. 
You know, it's more affordable for me to live, me and my brother to live in the, in the house than to go into an apartment until I get all my medical issues taken care of in Toronto and then move up north. And besides that, uh, we, we want, uh, I wanted to, uh, uh, develop the property and, um, get more money for it. So uh, I guess I, you know, what I can say to you, Peter, is one thing we can't get involved in, we meaning mayors, politicians, even the city government is, you know, whatever the situation was that led to your house being sold off from under you, uh, that was obviously some legal dispute you had, whether it's with the city or somebody else. And we just can't get involved in the middle of that. Those are things for courts and tribunals to deal with because politicians, you know, they don't want our, us putting our hands on it. And I understand why not. So I'm sorry to hear that because obviously a lot of people would like to keep their home for as long as they can. And we've been talking about that on the show, stay in their home. Um, and if there is something that you think can help uh, you to find the kind of accommodation that's affordable, for you that we can help with. We do have people who help with that, um, but we can't really do anything about whatever dispute led to the, uh, you know, to the sale of your home. I just, I can't get involved in that unless, you know, I just can't. I mean, if you want to sue somebody or take it up at a tribunal, you can do that, but I just can't get involved in and I hope, uh, I hope you find a, an affordable place to live. We are just about out of time, uh, just uh, to wrap Is things up. Is that because up? of you or because of me? I can stay a few more minutes if <laughs> there's some of these stay, callers. Please. Yeah, I will. I, 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 they, they'll always schedule me very precisely, but if there's a couple of more callers that want to be heard from, I can stay for a few minutes if it's not messing up your show. Okay, it's not messing up my All show. Right, let's do it then. Bernie and Mississauga. Hey, Bernie. Good morning, Libby. How you doing? Fine, how Hi, are you? John. Hello, Bernie. Uh, I just wanted to say, you know, after somebody lives in an apartment building or something for 10, 15, 20 years, how come there isn't a law on the books that says they, when they leave or they close it or they sell it, that they can't be, have part of equity and have at least walk away with 5 or 10% of the money they paid into the rent over all those years? Well, I think you're making the same point that Mike Layton and I are exploring. We're not suggesting that particular thing, but we've said clearly there must be a fault in the law where if you've lived somewhere for 10 years and you are a senior who can't easily move somewhere else to a place where you get the kind of support that they were giving in this particular building, that there should be more protection for you. Whether it's protection of the kind you're talking about, which involves money, or whether it's protection that gives you a greater tenure there as you're entitled to have if you're a different kind of tenant. So we want to examine completely what the provincial laws are that affect long-term care and these kinds of seniors residences to see that seniors are protected, especially as we face increasing numbers of seniors going forward that will be in these kinds of buildings. So that's the kind of idea that I guess we'll, we'll, we'll obviously take a look at, but I'm not going to presume upon what our officials will tell us could be done to strengthen those laws well, just, just like to make sure people are protected. Uh, people are forced or, or they choose to choose rental. There should be a clause somewhere where when the place is closed or for sold or something, that they walk away with a percentage of the, the money they paid in over the years. And that's the kind of thing, I guess, when we review the laws, what we'll take a look at as to how you can protect people, whether it's protect them financially, as you're talking about, or protect them in some other way. And Doug Ford. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Bernie. Uh, yeah, and there's a, a new minister that's devoted entirely to long-term care, so I don't know. Yes, that I, th- that, I think that should be a plus. Yeah, it should be a plus. Okay, we'll take one more from Joanne in Cliffside. Hi, Joanne. Hi, good afternoon. Hi, Mr. Tory. Oh, I was wondering if you could give me an update, please, on they're supposed to be building an indigenous center, healing center uh, for Native Indians that uh, have previously come out of jail um, in the Cliffside area. Um, residents around here, we haven't really had any information anymore. Um, it's not publicized in the papers or on the news anything about this. Uh, it's a pretty, we think it's a pretty big uh, decision on this 
city's part to put it in a residential area. Can I have your comments, please? Well, first of all, you should understand it's not the city putting it there. It's a, a nonprofit operator that was going to put this uh, healing uh, facility there. And, and yes, it was going to look after people from our indigenous communities who had been in some, uh, you know, some uh, encounter with the justice system. Uh, so where the thing stands at the moment is that there was to be a committee of adjustment hearing to allow for a minor variance to allow this thing to be built. Uh, that committee of adjustment hearing, because I think there was a feeling that there hadn't been enough public consultation has been put off until the fall. So some of the urgency has gone out of this in the context of, uh, you know, had the committee of adjustment met, I think this month as was scheduled, it could have been the case that people then had permission uh, to go ahead with this thing. So that won't happen until the fall. In the meantime, the local councillor, Gary Crawford, um, is convening a series of roundtable meetings. And if you want to be part of one of those, my suggestion is you call his office. I should tell you, I went out there myself about two weeks ago on a Saturday and uh, not only saw the area and understood exactly where everything was going, but I also had the, it was a funny thing. I showed up at a coffee shop out there and I didn't announce I was going. I didn't put it on my public itinerary. I just went. And within minutes, like all kinds of people were showing up in cars and walking to come and speak to, to me about this. So I had a chance to listen to a lot of residents and hear what some of their concerns were. I'll just say this to you. I mean, we're now going to go about very carefully, including Councillor Crawford's roundtables, making the decision carefully and with full consultation with local residents. One of the things we have to accept in a big city is there are lots of things we have to locate somewhere, whether it's these kinds of uh, halfway houses for people who are in trouble with the law, whether it's refugee uh, housing, whether it's shelters, whether it's, you know, all kinds of things that people will say, yes, I support having those, but I just don't want it near me. And so it's a big challenge when you're running a big city to do that. In this case, Councillor Crawford will now carry out extensive consultation. If you want to be part of that, call his office at City Hall, and I'm sure he'll include you in one of these. They're having small roundtables, maybe 10 people to discuss, you know, what the thing is and what it isn't, and also to discuss why it may not be suitably located in the cliffside neighborhood. So we're on top of it. Uh, Councillor Crawford is very engaged in it. I'm engaged in it. I've been out there to see it and we understand what the concerns are. And so we'll take it from there. Okay, Joanne, thanks for that. And uh, we'll follow up. We'll follow up on that uh, as sure. well. Yeah, and you can follow uh, up with me. I'm happy mm. to come back. I mean, I do, you know, I enjoy, as I've said mm. to you off air, I enjoy doing these things because it allows me to know what's on people's minds. And we've heard a lot about mm. seniors and their residences and taxes today. And so I'll come back and, and it's best if I'm in studio because then we can mm. sit here and take these calls more easily. But even not in studio, I can do it. And so we'll do it. We I'm love to here. have you in okay. studio, Mayor Tory. Thank you. Uh, just before we go, one quick question. Uh, we have a federal election coming up. You've yeah. met with Jagmeet Singh. Uh, in 20 seconds, what are the city's main asks? Transit and housing, continued funding support from the federal government to make sure we can build more transit and build more affordable housing, including for seniors. Uh, mental health, uh, I just think it's a huge crisis mm -hmm. in the city and the related addiction, addiction issues. Uh, I think those are probably the main issues that we have on our plate. And we just want to know that, that the current government's been not a bad partner for Toronto at all. We just want to know that's going to continue no matter who forms the government, uh, because Toronto needs to be, you know, building more transit, building more affordable housing and addressing mental health. Uh, no ifs, ands or buts. We just need to do those things to keep the city healthy. So that's what I'm asking them all. And Mr. Singh was very forthcoming yesterday. And I hope the others will be the same as they meet with me. Okay. And we'll hear all about that we later. Will. Mayor John Torrey, thanks Thank so you, much Lily. for being with thanks us. Thanks to all the listeners, too. Appreciate it. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. 
Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.